Welcome in to the All Things Go podcast, episode 21. I'm your host, Derek Yoder, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Murphy of Stewart House Racing. And Brian, I want to start the conversation this week regarding dirt versus no dirt. I know that was a topic of conversation throughout the week, so I want to kick it off there. Yeah, I mean, in the past, I've I've really never been a fan of the dirt race at Bristol. I think Bristol Moore Speedway is an incredibly special venue in the world of sports, not just motorsports. The you know the opportunities and um, experiences that that place provides is is just so unique in every way. So, um, you know, I just absolutely love the the concrete side of things when we go there wasn't really a big fan of of putting the dirt on that track. Um, you know, I think the first two years were a bit of a struggle, but I have to say um, those guys over at SMI, they put on one hell of a show this weekend. The racing was fantastic. I think in my opinion, um, you know, it was, it was just such a smooth weekend from start to finish when it came to track prep and everything that went into putting on that event. So um, man, just, just kind of a tough situation. I think, I don't know what you do with Bristol Moore Speedway and the second date. Um, you know, part of me, again, it, it's going to be crazy. I never thought I'd say this, but I, I almost want to give it one more shot um, just to, you know, with, with everything we've learned and, and finally getting a, a smooth weekend under our belt uh, to see what we can do and, and if the fans will show up after this past weekend's uh, race. So, um, well, I, I'd like to hear what you think, and, and then I have an idea after your opinion. So my opinion is this. Obviously, uh, maybe the Bristol dirt race. Uh, I know Bristol, a lot of people just want to see the concrete uh, portion of it be run on, but I'm all for growing the sport. And if new fans through the grassroots racing is going to be found through doing the dirt, then I'm all for that. But I think there is a a place where that could be done better than Easter Sunday, Bristol dirt. And I think, I think we can find other avenues, but the other element with that is the drivers need to be on board with it. And from a lot of the communication that we heard, whether different sound bites, drivers aren't, aren't even interested. You know, Denny Hamlin said, this is a novelty race. It, it's, it's one of those elements where, you know, that's not a strength of his. So his mindset going in is already a little different. Kyle Larson, who's very skilled, one of the best skilled uh, dirt racers, even said, we don't need to be on this. We don't need to be doing this, not in NASCAR. So those things all play uh, a significant role in, in shaping my opinion. But like I said, if if it was all drivers were on board for doing it somewhere else and you want to kind of reach out and do something from that grassroots style, I'm all for that. Uh, I know it wasn't the cup cars, but when they did the play prelude to the dream uh, years ago over at Eldora, which was a pay-per-view event, it was so much fun to watch the excitement of those guys. Obviously, they weren't doing their cup cars on dirt. It was a different um, experience, and it was a you know for building up some charities. But uh, that that's my take of it. Like I, I mean, take it or leave it for me. I mean, my nobody in my family was talking about. It. There were a lot of text messages that I was getting saying that, you know, this is a little gimmicky and what, are, what is this? Um, and me as a handicapper and somebody that looks at these races and tries to do a lot of analysis coming in, I was, I wasn't even interested in touching the race. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting element. Novelty, I think was the best part uh, for Denny Hamlin, but I'm curious to hear what your idea is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. As you said, both the industry members and the fans have to be on board and I, don't think the industry is backing this event like it like it needs. And honestly, I mean, are the fans 
the the crowd on Sunday was atrocious at best. Uh, the the viewership is down yet again, and you know I just I just don't think this series needs to be on dirt. And um, you know I don't even think we need to go into a different dirt track. It's it's just we we need to stay at our venues, um, be who we are, and and provide that that common um, entertainment that, that we've provided for, for 10 years or so, 10, 20, 30 years. Um, so we're, we're not a dirt series. We don't need to be a dirt series. Uh, we can leave all that for the dirt guys and, and appreciate their, their series for what they are and, and vice versa. So, uh, but with that said, I mean, we've got three years of doing this. I don't know what you would do with next year's race. So I don't know, but with the hopes of the fairgrounds coming into play, you have mm-hmm. Wilkesboro in the market now. Um, you know, honestly, there wasn't much fan turnout for the concrete race in the spring. Uh, outside of moving that race to the summer and having another night race, but then taking yeah. away that that you know whatever it is that feel that spice that that the, the night race brings in August. Um, you know, I'm worried about removing some of the specialness of that particular event by doing that. Um, I personally, I don't think the dirt is providing what the fans want by the reactions we're getting from ticket sales and viewership. So this doesn't seem to be like an option. I mean, have we reached a point where unbelievably Bristol motor speedway only deserves one of one weekend a year? Um, You know, like I said, with, with Nashville and Wilkesboro in the market as well. Now, you know, the only thing I can think of, um, at this moment is somehow removing the garages and the haulers from the center of the track, putting them outside where the fans can see kind of like an NHRA type uh, atmosphere or IMSA um, and, and doing something else with the center of the track, maybe on Saturday or before the race Sunday, whether it be monster trucks or I don't know, uh, whatever it could be, right? So, something else going on there that would bring fans outside of just a concrete spring or even summer day race um you know it's it's a really difficult uh situation they have ahead of them because i think they have utilized every option available outside of just something crazy and but hey as we talked to steve last week crazy is what they do and and Mm -hmm. um you know they could come up with a lot of great ideas yeah no you're absolutely right i mean crazy is what they do they they think out of the box smi does and uh, it was a great conversation like you touched on there with steve and and the whole team over there what they're doing and know they're trying and know they're you know trying to bring in more people obviously those that were at the track and, and what they were doing was um awesome to see with the, the you know bringing back what used to be the uh, the track the pre-race show uh you know kenny wallace john roberts they were doing that had a bunch of drivers that was cool they're going to be at all the uh smi it looks like facilities here coming up in the re- in the next few months uh which i think is a really cool tool because it brings some of that um uh, that side back that we used to have back in the day when things were going really well but nascar is in a very interesting spot uh obviously the tv contracts are coming up we're seeing a lot of data points regarding tv ratings but we're also seeing a lot of things shift even in other sports you know uh direct tv is out of the nfl YouTube is now uh, became the partner there with them and what they're doing. Amazon's making a massive play. So it's really going to put a lot of different variables uh, for NASCAR, for the fans. You know, look what Netflix is doing with the F1 stuff. They just did a, a docu-series with the PGA. I know NASCAR did a docu-series last year, which share, was shown on USA, but that was USA at 10 p.m. And it's like, 
well, that's not what audience is captivating that to go back and rewatch and, and everything there. So definitely interesting, uh, you know, as we're now into April and uh, I'm looking forward to getting through, obviously, Martinsville this week and then uh, Talladega next week. And then we really get to one of my favorite parts of the season before we get to Daytona, that long stretch of road courses, short tracks, uh, mile or one mile tracks. I know Dover's coming up, so uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but what about Martinsville? Uh I know it's not too far from the track for you. Are you going up to the track at all? And, uh, you know, how, how's the team feeling? How's morale going into uh, the paperclip? Yeah, I think our short track program has proven to be, um, you know, our, our best right now. And not only have we ran decent, we've ran really good and contended for wins. So uh, Martinsville is one of my favorite tracks. Love the, um, the experience that it provides. Love uh, that, you know, it's just a beat and bang type of race old school Saturday night short track racing, um, albeit on Sunday. But uh, yeah, I, I think everybody at Stuart Haas is really excited to get there and see what we got, um, you know, uh, followed by Talladega, which, you know, speedway racing. Uh, I, I, I think that's being, uh, I think a lot of people are losing their love for speedway racing in the industry as well. It's just kind of turning into, um, you know, a little bit of something that might be mostly unnecessary. Um, but Hey, the, the one thing I will say about the speedway tracks, which, which I will be going to Talladega is that it does provide the teams in an opportunity to kind of sub out some of the team members where we don't have practice. You just make one lap qualify and go race. So, um, it's, it's, it's really neat to see us kind of start to shift personnel in and out throughout the year. So these guys that travel, um, year round can, um, you know, spend a little time at home with their, their friends and family. So, Really excited about, um, you know, just getting back to the racetrack and seeing everybody again like I did at Coda. But um, to your point, you know, one of my favorite stretches of the year as well. Really excited to get to Kansas. Um, unfortunately, I won't be going there. We'll, we're going to talk to Diva Q coming up, talk about barbecue. And that is one of my favorite stops on the schedule uh, when it comes to food. So, um, but yeah, uh, Martinsville, this is going to be one of those races where we need to really show our stuff again and, and you know, create momentum i've been saying it almost every episode we need to create momentum push that momentum and carry it through these hard times where we can um you know re really learn about why we're running good there and what we need to do to perform better on these intermediates yeah well it'd be interesting to see what happens this sunday you know kevin harvick in his last six races he has an average finish of 13.8 and then almirola has a 14.8 average in the last six races uh, at Martinsville. So you definitely have some of those veteran guys in your stable that know how to get it done at a race like this. And then you look at the younger guys and Ryan Priest. We talked about it with him on the show where, you know, they were using that Martinsville package uh, to race at Coda. And so uh, the drive off and I, I still look at my notes from time to time as I'm getting ready to look uh, into Martinsville a little bit. But the 14 team had the best drive off besides uh, TRD uh, in that race. And then uh, the 41 as well. But I do want to touch on uh, Chase Briscoe real quick because obviously there was a bit of a talking point that came out that I was stunned about uh, Sunday. I want to say Sunday evening when I was listening to an interview. I'm sh I should say the heat races uh, on Saturday. But Chase uh, broke his finger, I believe it was. I could be wrong with that. But what can you uh, tell me there? Because that was that was crazy to hear that news and knowing that this is one of the favorites to win the race now has uh, a bit of a hand situation. Yeah, a, a difficult track to go to uh, with a broken middle finger, especially on your left hand. And, and Chase is a dominant left hand uh, driver. So when he gets in the corner, a lot of that strength in, in, in the turn is coming from his left hand pulling down on the wheel 
especially nowadays where you're shifting so much. These guys will have to shift twice down each straightaway, once up, once down as they get into the corner. Um, and so there's going to be a, a lot of pressure on that left hand uh, as he goes to the corner. Now, you know, the guys this week, Johnny, um, you know, Bill, uh, one of our um, doctors that comes in to help our, our uh, pit crews, uh, they designed a really neat little cast um, that will help him keep his hand on the wheel, keep his fingers straight. Um, it was really cool. We, we made it out of some tape and some clay and, and molded it around the way that he felt comfortable. We then scanned that piece using our uh, metrology department um, and then sent it over for uh, our 3D team to uh, print it out on our, our machine. So within about seven or eight hours, we had a really nice little cast type thing for, for him to put on his hand for the race this weekend. He used it in the simulator. They got to dial it in a little better. Um, so I think he'll be fine for the most part. Um, you know, he said after the race, it didn't hurt too bad. I think a lot of that adrenaline is going to take over, um, that, that he normally wouldn't have. So, uh, you know, I, am not too worried about it. You know, the guy's a, a tough, tough, tough ass racer. So he's going to be able to make it work and, um, you know, he'll, he'll be able to fight through all 400 laps this weekend. So, yeah. um, yeah. Interesting. Well, I, you know, looking at his last two races at Martinsville alone, you know, two top tens, uh, a pair of ninth place finishes. So, uh, you know, even with a broken finger, like you said, you guys kind of got a cast situation uh, worked out that it might should reduce the pain. But, you know, you were also talking about the the uh, adrenaline, and I think that'll come into play, especially for a professional race car driver, because there's adrenaline uh, at every turn. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know there's some weather uh, in the forecast, and we've talked about it a good bit leading into the season when we were talking about the, the wet weather package and some of the low downforce stuff that NASCAR was going to be implementing. Might be able to see some of those wet tires used this week, but it's only on damp conditions, I believe, not full out rain situations, correct? Where NASCAR would use those tires. Yeah. It's just kind of to maybe shorten the drying time a little bit where if it's damp or it starts to sprinkle, these guys could go out and, um, you know, run some more laps or, or try to be able to shorten the race, uh, when it comes to waiting. So, uh, I still hope we never have to use it ever. I'm going to, I'm going to go and pray that in the history of this sport going forward, that we never have to utilize any of this. So, but obviously, it's going to happen at some point. I think the weather is trending a little better for this Sunday. I hope so for the fans. Um, you know, the other thing about Martinsville, off topic, pit road, extremely, extremely tight pit road for these pit crews. Um, you know, and and with with the cars, we run them so low at these short tracks that uh, you know jacking the cars is a lot more difficult. Um, the cars are so low on the left side that you really have to make sure your jack post placement and height is is just absolutely perfect and, and when you hit that jack post that it doesn't bounce off the rocker box and and result in you um you know missing the stop um you know the other thing too is extremely low air pressures here i, th I think the recommended pressure might be 12 psi teams will go below that they will be well into the uh the 10 maybe even the nine pound range and you know which is going to lower these cars even more and and um so uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on pit road uh, and it will be interesting to watch how it plays out as well. I mean, these pit crews, it's it's difficult as it's ever been with these stops where, you know, a tenth or two, is, you know, can send you to back to the mid-pack. So uh, what will be an interesting uh, battle on pit road this weekend, no doubt.
Yeah, I'm glad that you touched on the pit road element because, like you said, it is the tightest uh, pit road and qualifying is key. And it's unfortunate because the cup guys only have 20 minutes to try to figure out, sort out their stuff. So you got to you gotta unload fast. Anybody that doesn't is going to struggle because we saw what passing was like last year. Now, if you go back and watch the fall race, there was some passing that was able to happen. Obviously, uh, Christopher Bell started 20th, came back, uh, rallied. Uh, obviously won and then uh, Denny Hamlin was another guy that was passing a lot of cars so uh the shifting element you know makes everybody kind of the same speed but I'm glad you touched on the pit road uh stuff as well you know Chase Elliott's coming back that was a news that item that just dropped today where Chase Elliott's going to be coming back to the series obviously had an injury uh and was out since Las Vegas third race of the season so he'll be back this weekend uh jumping back in the nine car uh Josh Berry an amazing job that he did and obviously Jordan Taylor as well well uh, when he was at Coda. So looking forward to seeing Chase back and uh, we'll see if that affects uh, the ratings in a positive way. Cause a lot of people tend to say that uh, it was a rating. Got to give Josh Berry credit. That kid is yeah. damn good. Um, so was good. Really, really hoping to see him be able to run Martinsville this weekend in that cup car uh, kind of as a send off. Um, uh, but great to have Chase back. Glad to know that he's healed this fast. That's pretty impressive. Uh, especially, you know, a place where you use so much break uh and, and there's you know so much contact so uh you know best of luck to him still excited to see how josh and taylor do on saturday in exactly. their race uh but man gosh you got to be thinking chevy better get those contracts and those pens heated up they might need that pen from from old hawk because you know th- those manufacturers and our teams are going to be chasing that kid down for sure yeah no you're a hundred percent correct i was going to touch on uh taylor moyer and uh, Josh Berry, obviously, they got their first win a couple years ago at Martinsville. So now Josh is back uh, in the Xfinity Series, taking back over uh, the eight car there and not having to do any double duty uh, like he previously was. But um, Zane Smith, another name, you know, Cody Ware uh, was indefinitely suspended by NASCAR for various reasons. You can go look it up if you want. Um, but Co- um, but Zane Smith jumping in that car uh, this weekend. I know he's obviously a top prospect. It seems like so many people are saying that he's going to be in the four car eventually. He's going to be in this car eventually. It's almost like Oprah. You get him, you get him, you get him. So he's jumping in uh, with Rick Ware uh, this weekend. So I'm glad that kid is getting uh, some more opportunities because he is, I think he's cup ready. Uh, I really do. And I know they have, uh, you know, obviously relationships with Ford. So Ford's keeping him uh and giving him various opportunities there so uh that i think that wraps up then the cup stuff uh where else you want to go any other motorsports or anything else we didn't get to uh touch on quite yet yeah i'm, I'm really excited to see you know rick Ware racing this weekend with uh zane smith that kid is one hell of a driver and you know today they announced um tommy baldwin is going to come in as as their new competition competition director i think someone of his uh, mentality and guidance is really going to take this team um, to a different level. It's, uh, you know, someone like him is what they've been missing over these past couple of years. And, um, you know, he, he was a, a big time grab for that team. Um, going to be cool to see both Zane and him come to uh, RWR and see if they can find a little extra performance this weekend. Uh, but outside of that, a big weekend for motorsports. Not only do we have everything, Martinsville, um, the Cup Series, uh, we have MotoGP at Coda. We have F1 in China. We have the NHRA in Las Vegas, IndyCar in Long Beach, and WC, WEC in uh, Portimao. So a big, big weekend full of motorsports of all kinds. Uh, pretty much you can find all of that either on YouTube, Motor Trend, 
um, you know, or, or cable provided uh, channels. So other than that, I, you know, I don't really have anything else. I'm just ready to get to this conversation again. We've had some knockout guests the past couple of weeks and we got another one for you guys this, uh, this week. Yeah. It's going to be an awesome time uh, with Danielle and I appreciate her giving of her, you know, time. She had a, a VIP class that she's teaching here tonight. So for her to jump on with us and uh, was a great, great episode so everybody please enjoy brian uh thank you so much for all that you do and coming on and, and giving us the insights uh that we the fans and and those uh are really looking for so appreciate that and uh without further ado here is danielle bennett we now welcome on a very special guest danielle bennett at diva q bbq on twitter first off Thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to go over your resume real real quick because it speaks for itself. I want to highlight a few of your accomplishments. And uh, as I was looking down through the list, I was amazed. And I know everybody listening uh, is as well. So you were the pitmaster and world barbecue champion, Jack Daniels, world champion in grilling pork and dessert, best wings in the world. Twice you got that. Uh, a world award-winning uh, cookbook author, TV host, and uh, the the person that Brian looks up to the most when he fires up his own Traeger. So, Danielle, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk to people um, about barbecue and grilling and cars and NASCAR and things that I love. So it's all. It's, I'm very happy to be here. It's one of the best combos, right? Like they say, uh, peanut butter and jelly. Well, barbecue and NASCAR, that goes hand in hand just as much, especially Absolutely. with the tailgaters and everything. So, how, how, you know, motorsports, NASCAR, you know, how long have you been a fan of the sport? All right. So, funny story. When I was 16 years old, I had friends of mine that needed, um, they were on the recovery teams uh, up in Canada, Toronto, for the Le Mans 24 hour race. And they brought me along to babysit their kids while they did um, ambulatory care and rescue care. Um, so I have been watching races since then. Um, dated somebody in the NASCAR industry for a couple of years. <laughs> that, of course, got me a little more involved for sure. Um, definitely a huge fan of um, NASCAR. I didn't have as much of an appreciation until about five, six years ago. Because I don't think a lot of people who don't really understand what goes into NASCAR, understand the sacrifices. I think that a lot of these people and the hard work and the diligence, you know, I was like that person like, well, they just go left. How boring is that? You know, and then you understand uh, the minutia that's involved a lot more in regards to moving up in places, um, finite uh, adjustments, uh, optimizations, mm -hmm. all those lovely words they like to use in regards to obtaining that, you know, 20th of a second or whatever they need to get them to the next level. Um, so I have a massive amount of respect for what they go through week in and week out. And anybody who doesn't think a NASCAR driver or the pit crews are not athletes, they're idiots. These guys are under yep. some of the most tenuous uh, circumstances. You know, their bodies are put through rigorous testing. And I think also a lot of times the general public um, doesn't understand if you haven't actually walked a track um, a lot of times and seen, because it's not kind of, I don't think it's as visually evident on TV, how incredibly banked the tracks mm -hmm. actually are. I remember the first time I walked a track and I was just, my jaw dropped. I'm like, holy crap, I had no idea because it it's not as evident on TV. So yeah, I've been a fan for quite a few years. Yeah. I, it sounds like it. No, very impressive. Uh, 
what was the what's your favorite track to then go to? I mean, it sounds uh, like you've been to a few. Not Martinsville. I don't. Not like Martinsville. Short, I can't stand short tracks. I'll tell you okay. right now. I do so not we'll take, like. We'll check tracks. Martinsville off. We'll check uh, Bristol Dirt. Did you well, watch Bristol a little Bristol Dirt, Dirt is, last week? I mean, but here's the thing. Bristol Dirt is exciting. I know it's shit for the drivers. I know it's crap for the teams. I get it. But it's something different. Like, that's why we go to Los Angeles now, right? Like, remember, yes. all of these new venues are bringing in what matters the most to NASCAR, mm-hmm. and that's money. They don't really give yep. a rat's ass about anything else other than changing rules on the whim, <laughs> to suit their own purposes, and making money. And I not associated with anybody in nascar anymore so i can be as unedited as i want because i literally know that that's what nascar doesn't give a rat's ass about the teams they give that family cares about bank that is all they care about okay and as long as they can keep making bank you know what they're gonna still go to bristol because it's interesting because everybody bitched about it on twitter online everybody was talking about oh they shouldn't be on a dirt track they should do this Guess what you just did? You just put the NASCAR name out there another 10 million times. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're really listening to any of your feedback at that point, you know? So, yeah. um, exactly. you know, I, I'm going to go with my home state. I love Daytona. Okay. I'm yeah. here in Florida. Daytona. It's my favorite track. Um, I, I think I truly probably fell in love with NASCAR in Daytona more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so exciting the first time I went. Um, I, and I, and I've been to a few other tracks, of course. Um, funny enough, actually, I actually did quite a few competitions up at the Michigan Speedway, um, okay. years ago, years ago, actually, while NASCAR races were going on, I was actually participating in Kansas city barbecue society contest right there at the same time. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, Daytona, Daytona is my favorite track. I love the vibe of Daytona. Daytona is just like this intensity. There's this passion that I think, um, you know, if I'd had a chance to go over to the Los Angeles track, I think it would be kind of the same. Like it's that, it's that excitement level, you know? And, and then some of them are kind of like, eh, all right, we've been here. Let's go. Let's, it's, 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 you know, it's another one. It's another Sunday, you know? I don't think they should be racing on Easter. I'll say that. I think that's BS. I don't think they should be racing on on holidays. I think it. Th- these teams give up so much, and these people give mm-hmm. up so much of their own time. Um, and I literally scoff every single time they make. Oh yes, we'd like to thank our families for their for their efforts on Easter. No, you're thanking the bankroll that you're making on Easter because everybody's <laughs> at home with their family watching NASCAR, and that's what matters more. Um, but I don't. I, you know, that's those are a couple. I'm an opinionated woman. What can I, I say? love it. Yeah, you gave me my you gave me the title already for the uh, the show. It's gonna be go go off queen. That's gonna be the title of the podcast. I already know that. So this is this is great. You're speaking that's from be any, perfect. Yeah, this that's is gonna good. be perfect. I think too many people are afraid to say what they think, and 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 it's okay to offend some people. You know, um, as long as you're a decent human, I think it's okay. You're rude. You're not rude, but I I, I think that. We have to bring in new viewers to NASCAR, obviously, right? Yes. I, I am a 49-year-old female that lives in Florida, originally from Canada. I am not your typical NASCAR viewer to begin with. Obviously, the best thing that NASCAR can do is be more inclusive to a lot of different things, a lot of different mm-hmm. options. Um, different tracks make things more exciting. It's not as predictable. You know, you're not going to see the same people come in the top 10. You're not going to see the same results um the new car design i think that's a crock as well but you know that's that's a whole other kettle of fish Mm -hmm. you know um but you know at the end of the day i mean nascar's got to address the fact that it is going to be a dwindling audience if they don't keep trying to do new things and i think uh los angeles was a big part of that i think that there's been a lot of things over the last couple years that they've done 
Um, I, I think that there are some good strides being made to to definitely have different audiences involved, whether they're female, male, black, white, green, purple. I don't really give a rat's ass, but <laughs> they need to go after more than just the standard, you know, middle Americana male um, sitting on his tailgate. So there you go. Uh, so. <laughs> Sold. With so many great stops uh, on the NASCAR circuit, you have obviously been able to travel the world, the country, probably yep. more than even even we have. Um, Daytona, Kansas City, Texas, yep. uh, Michigan, the Northeast. Where, where's a, your favorite food spot to go to in, in the United States? And, and is there any kind of connection there with the motorsports scene? Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's not those hot dogs in Martinsville, that's for sure. I don't know why. I did not want it. I love the tradition of it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great tradition. Why anybody would stand in line for that hot dog is beyond me. But I think it's like that, you know, it's kind of like, and let me, let me parallel this to barbecue. Sometimes people stand in line for barbecue, not because it's good, but because it evokes a memory. Right. And uh, I think that that Martinsville hot dog is definitely one of those. Um, I, I think that there is, you know, Texas, I'm beloved of Texas more than anything, um, I've sent some of my NASCAR friends to some friends of mine. Um, you know, when I haven't been able to go to the race, I've actually mm -hmm. arranged to have some of my friends go to some legendary barbecue joints, La Barbecue, which is probably one of the all-time best barbecue joints in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and so I will say that I have maybe uh, made it more than a few arrangements for some NASCAR friends and teams. I like it to go and eat with some of my friends in different barbecue states. Um, you know, it's, it's so funny because um, I have some interesting friends in NASCAR drivers, et cetera, that will email me or text me and say, hey, Danielle, I'm doing this. Maybe that Brian guy up there too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I gotta cook all of this, and, and then, but I do have some some you know big names that that text me, and I always crack up. I'm like, dude, it's not that hard. It's a fork, but you run like a two million dollar car. It's not that hard, you know. If you can balance all that crap, certainly a 12-pound pork butt is going to be a cakewalk to you. So it cracks me up. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there are lots of great food stops. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, as you travel around, um, one of the things is that whenever I was on the road and going to a NASCAR race or, or visiting a NASCAR location, you know, next to a half-decent hotel when you can get them is, okay, where are we going to eat? <laughs> that might be it, you know. I don't usually eat at the track um, when I've gone. Typically, not too much. Um, but definitely, usually, you know, regionally, Kansas, of course, uh, Q39, um, definitely one of my favorite barbecue joints. Mm. Um, Grant Grinder. Q39 is, yeah. yeah, Q39 is one of our favorite stops for sure. Yep. And the, the owner of that passed away a couple of years ago. That was really sad. I knew him personally. Um, Grinders, always a good stop. It's a great stop to drink at, it's a great stop to eat at. Uh, Los Angeles, you know, there's so much good food in Los Angeles, ridiculous, but definitely, I think, uh, definitely Charlotte, Charlotte's near and dear to my heart. Of course, Charlotte's, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful town to begin with. Um, you know, I think it was last year or the year before I drove by, um, Oh, what is that rock star's name? And then it showed up in the paper the next day. I was cracking my ass up. Oh my God. Up in Charlotte. Oh, Stone. there you go. Mick Jagger. Yeah. I walk, we <laughs> drove by Mick Jagger the night he was standing out in front of a pub in Charlotte and it cracked me right up because it was, then it showed up in the paper the next day. I'm like, I knew that was Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and there's lots of great pubs and great food in Charlotte. Charlotte's one of the most diverse, unexpected diverse towns there is actually for food. Um, yeah, there's lots of great stops. Um, lots of great stops, like lots of places. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's dive into the the delicious stuff here. Um, you know, <laughs> about a, what a half a year ago now, I bought a Traeger, got to talk to you. 
I think first and foremost, I just want to explain to everybody and, and ask, uh, I am just blown away by how friendly and nice and helpful not only you, but just the, the cooking community is it's, it's yep. not a secret. Um, it's, it's very family and friend oriented. Everybody is doing this to, to gather people and, and, um, you know, have the great conversations and experiences with each other. Where does that come from in this industry? Because, you know, I'm so used to in motorsports, there's secrets, there's things you can't <laughs> share this. You can't, it's, it's the complete opposite. It's, it's unbelievable. We're just really better at keeping our secrets, just to make that very clear. Okay, we're just much better at hiding our secrets. Now, um, in general, if it's not in a non-competition format, okay, because remember, you're in my, you know, you're you're in 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 my house right now, and right behind me, you can't see this, but right behind me, I got a whole bunch of trophies, you know, and those are all competition things. Um, I've never published any one of those recipes. I would never share them in a million years. I work too hard on them. However, if you want to cook a pork butt or a rack of ribs or whatever the case may be, um. I'm always willing to help people as long as they're polite and I'll call you out if you're not polite. Cause people will literally mm -hmm. on online. And I, I know you guys have seen it. Um, literally people online will say, give me this recipe. And I will literally go publicly and say, get some damn manners. Okay. Cause mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't play like that. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the biggest things for me is that if you come, if you come to a person like myself, like a pit mat, professional barbecue, like that's what I do. I've been doing this for 17 years going into it'd be 17 years in two weeks. Um, that I've been doing this. And one of the things is, is that I, I remember when I first started 17 years ago, I remember being overwhelmed by these big hunks of meat and, and like, you know, what fuel source do I use? What temperature do I use? How do I wrap it? And I remember, um, back to when I started, how incredibly thoughtful and considerate and extending kindness. Some people were in this industry to me at that time, um, to get me on the right path. You know, they may not have given me all the answers, but they certainly put me on the right path. And I've never forgotten those lessons in life. And I think a lot of people in food-based centric kind of industries, whether it's barbecue or anything else, um, most times it's given that you will probably help some other people. Additionally, I also started, um, I'm 49 now. And uh, when I started, there wasn't YouTube tutorials. There wasn't the uh, plethora of information that is available now where, you know, if you go and you Google how to cook a pork butt, you're going to get some really solid advice. When I mm -hmm. learned how to make a brisket, I actually traveled to Texas. When I learned to make pork and ribs and all that stuff, I went to Kansas and the Carolinas. And, and then I went to regional areas for different things as well. Um, and I think that that education has given me an opportunity to understand and appreciate what it takes for somebody to help you. And kindness matters above all things. Uh, one of the things I say to my kids every day, you don't have to be a wuss, okay? Be soft, be loving, but don't take shit from anybody ever, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I say to them every day, be kinder than you need to be. Because you know what? That food that you might be making might bring your whole family together. That food might be, you know, a great opportunity for you and your family or your buddies or your friends to sit down. And I think we've all been through enough crap in the last few years with COVID and everything mm -hmm, else. Mm -hmm. I think we all need to eat together a little bit more. And I'm not touching politics at all, but I'm just saying <laughs> the world would be a lot better place if more people made barbecue together and uh, sat back and had a couple cold ones and, and chilled a little bit, you know? I absolutely, I agree. I, I do agree with you. I, I have a question though. I was fascinated yeah. to hear you only started this doing this professionally 17 years ago. Yeah. So then what was that like making that transition into doing what you're doing professionally? And like, how did that come about? What, what were you doing before cooking? 
All right. So this is where people get a little shocked. I used to wear like, you know, stiletto heels and suits and things like that to work every day. I was a corporate HR operations manager. That's uh, what I was I wondering. I have uh, I have double degrees actually. There's a couple degrees. I'm I'm, certain, wow. I'm, cur- I'm currently sitting in my office, and I have two degrees actually. I have a, a three year degree in business marketing, um, and I have another degree in human resource operations management. And so <laughs> and I and worked- that led the barbecue. <laughs> and and yep. ten years working in that environment, and I did like some labor relations, and it was more like a uh, like a target format. So I worked within a store c- confine, but then I got sent to other stores to help them and mm-hmm. do different things and. You know, it was 124,000 square feet. I had a $27 million wow. payroll budget to administer. Um, had over 200 employees, depending on the time of the year. Mm-hmm. So I did that for 10 years first. And I was taught food more than anything by, by my grandmother. She was a Depression era uh, grandma. So she, when she was so poor that when she moved to the country of Canada, uh, they lived in Alberta, they lived in a sod house. For anybody who knows anything about lawn care, uh, a sod house is literally stacked grass. They had whitewashed grass. So my grandmother taught me everything from scratch. Wow. From scratch. And to this day, I still don't like wasting anything. Um, and that's also an, another driving force to participating in giving back to my community, mm-hmm. um, trying to feed people that are in challenging situations economically through no fault of their own. Um, giving a hand up versus a help, you know, a handout is, is kind of a big deal to me. So I did all of that. And then grandma taught me for years. My mother was an awesome, badass, most badass woman you ever met. Gosh, I wish she was still alive. She's just, mm-hmm. she was such a badass, um, strong woman, but did not cook very much. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Very much. Yeah. So after, after many years of listening, learning from my grandmother, I actually um, have three amazing kids. They are just incredibly unique little humans. Uh, 24, 18, and 16. Two of them in the university. Cool. One of them is just about to finish high school. And all of them were, were really busy little people. And I ended up staying home with my ex-husband for a couple of years. And I was bored out of my tree. Like totally bored. I did not know what people do all day because I went from managing, uh, you know, hundreds yep. of people and a big payroll budget and an office. And so I ended up going taking culinary courses. And then uh, a friend of mine called me up one day and said, Hey, you, you want to go and judge this barbecue contest with me? And we had to apply. And I did. I never graduated from culinary college. I got, you know, I'm still a chef, but I just didn't finish my graduation. Um, and then ended up uh, three days after um, I judged a barbecue contest, I walked around and I had some really great barbecue, some mediocre barbecue, some barbecue I wouldn't feed a dog. And <laughs> then I decided at that point, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can do this because <laughs> I'd been cooking from scratch mm-hmm. for years. Three days later, I bought my first of two uh, cookers. And the first one was a WSM, which is a Weber Smoky Mountain 18 inch. It's a bullet design. And you still have it? Uh, no, I don't. The second okay. one. However, I do still have second one was yeah. a Traeger Little Tex. And that actually is, go. my children have that. And then I went on after that. I bought an additional, um, uh, bought and obtained an additional 63. So I was up to 65 uh, barbecues at one point. I'm down to 20, 21 as of yesterday. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's an impressive story. That's why I was wondering. I was like, what, <laughs> you know, what kind of line of work did you come from to then make that transition? So that's. That's a really good story. I'm glad that you, so what, what's the biggest thing that you learned? Like you said, you manage people, obviously you're very personable and you do so much in, in various communities. So what's the biggest thing that you've taken from what you did previously transitioning into, uh, you know, professionally cooking and, and helping many people? I think the biggest thing I've learned is just not to take crap from anybody. 
and mm-hmm. don't believe people when they say you can't do something. You know, the other the other thing is that I'm a female in a an extraordinarily male dominated industry. There's I think there may be four percent of us, maybe five percent in in the entire entity of professional bar, actual real professional barbecuers. And even rarer, I'm one of the only ones that doesn't have a restaurant and still manages to have a very good life. Um, so you you have some other additional challenges there. Um, you know, applicable business skills are always good for anything, right? Um, I, I was training and teaching uh, managers and things like that. I think that's transitioned well for speaking in public. And um, I've taught over 20,000 barbecue students at this point across the world. Uh, I, even even ten, today, as I'm sitting here in a couple of hours, I've got to go and teach another private VIP class. Um, and then additionally, on Tuesday, I'm going back to Australia. It's the second time I've been in Australia this year. Um, to go do events. Uh, and this year alone, I'll be in Germany, England, Ireland, um, Canada, multiple states, potentially Dubai, and a few other countries. Um, so I think that the professional side, the business side, has allowed me to definitely have a, a, a common sense attitude about a lot of situations where, you know, I can go to the other side of the world, whether it's Tel Aviv or, or whether it's Norway, act in a professional manner and do a really good job for my sponsors and partners, which is really important because they have to have a trust factor. They're paying you to go across the country to teach for them. You better represent them well. You know, NASCAR is all about sponsorships and those dollars. So, I mean, if you don't represent them well and have their ideals in line with your core values, then there's a problem. So obviously you're paired up with Traeger. Um, yep. You know, I, I said the other day, I... Since I purchased my Traeger, I look at my life in a different definition of time. There's BT and AT, before Traeger and after Traeger. This grill has inspired and allowed me and my wife to cook at at home in ways we never have before. Explain a little bit about what makes the Traeger so user-friendly for beginner barbecuers as well as pros such as yourself. So I think one of the key things for for me is my job. um, I I look at my job every day. Like yesterday, I was actually... um, volunteering with a high school, right? I love volunteering. I love teaching kids. I I think that everybody needs to learn to cook more at home. It's just a good thing anyway. But I think what, what the Traeger grill does, and I was talking to the kids last night or yesterday about this, is the fact that the Traeger eliminates a lot of the variables that prevent people from cooking at home to begin with. Uh, especially in the barbecue and grilling segment. So I never call a Traeger a smoker um, because a smoker is traditionally 250, 260 degrees, 270 and lower. Okay. And anything above that, you're into mid-level grilling or high heat grilling. And because the Traeger goes from low and slow to hot and fast, it really is a wood-fired grill at that point. And it applies to all things, you know, whether I'm baking loaves of bread for Easter, which I just, you know, I I post stuff every day on my Twitter, my Instagram, just the most random stuff, because it's literally what I'm doing at home that day. I am the most random Twitter person ever because it could be everything from my opinion on NASCAR to a meme I just thought funny to a song I heard. To, and literally what I do is just I just put up crap that I think is funny. I do. Or or I'm eating or I'm making, you know, like that's my everyday. OK, uh, because it's real life for me every single day. Mm-hmm. Just about I try or something. And, and it could be bread. It could be cookies. It could be cheesecakes. It could be, you know, a, a, an elite piece of, you know, Wagyu A9 beef right down to a basic inexpensive you know chicken quarter and the elimination of the variables of control on smoke um a clean smoke environment ease of use ease of cleanup the versatility 
I think all of those things, when you take away a lot of the challenging versatile, the, the challenging portions, you make the equipment much more versatile. And, and we hear mm -hmm. it, Brian, we hear that over and over and over again. You know, when I transitioned to fully being exclusive with Traeger, that was a big decision. You know, I had to genuinely believe that this was the very best grill in the world for the average person. That was what I was looking for. Um, and, and it's not to say that people don't enjoy their charcoal grills. Absolutely. I had quite a few of them. I had, you know, I had a big green egg and I, I definitely had some charcoal kettles and, and some other things. However, dollar for dollar, in my opinion, I think that everyone should have a quality made pellet grill um, because of that versatility factor. I love the fact that it also removes a lot of the fear factors. Um, so what we see is, for example, like when I first started teaching barbecue, I started teaching about 14 years ago, 15 years ago now, um, is that it's, it's transitioned from having all males in my class and they were all literally 38 to 55. Like it was the exact same demographic wherever mm -hmm. I went to the US. Um, and now we are seeing age ranges from teenagers to like early age teenagers, like 12, 13 year olds coming to the class wow. right up until seniors. And we're seeing, you know, male, female, everything in between. And the reason is because those variables, those, those hard to control variables have been removed from the equation of having an amazing meal every single day, you know, kissed with some wood fired smoke. And I think that that is to me, one of the best things when you open up options to people right and you eliminate the transitional variables that make it challenging well that means i can turn everybody into a backyard rock star right mm -hmm. i can make everybody look like i i love i love getting you know dms that are inspirational and they say hey you know my grandfather or my father has been cooking ribs every year at our you know reunion and i showed them all up this year they think I'm just a pit master now. And it's because, you know, he got taught or she got taught how to, you know, use a Traeger. I love the fact that when I have a young, you know, a young lady in her teens saying, you know what, I made our entire family's Easter dinner, which just happened last week, you know, um, and I just followed your really easy recipes. Those things inspire me to continue and, and to share that love. Um, and the Traegers, one, one of the other things is that, you know, we have a variety of price points, right? Cause not everybody can afford, you know, the, the very high end Timberline XL with all the bells, bells and whistles. So sometimes you have to go entry level and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. They all have the base component, which is an auger driven, you know, uh, pellet grill. So basically the hopper gets filled up, the pellets get drawn through the auger to the hot pot. And it is a dial in which you can set and make it easier for you. Now, in my house, you know, I've got everything hooked up to either a meter probe or Wi-Fi or technology on my phone using the Traeger app. Some of our other models or older models or our less expensive models are just basic. You just turn the dial. Um, and, and the price points vary from everything from like, you know, uh, I think the Ranger is $449 for our, our portable one all the way up into the couple of thousand dollars. So I think that that also makes it really quite available to the mass public. Additionally, because Traeger was the actual originator of pellet grilling and the originator of all the components, we've been doing this longer than anybody. You know, 1984 was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, you're right. It does seem uh, a little while ago, 84, uh, like you said. But my, I guess I have a question for you. So go to thing that you're making, like gotta make one thing and it is the, it's your go-to it's the thing that you do the best what is it food 
Well, uh, yeah, okay. So that makes sense. Thank answer. you very much. Never, yeah, that was a good question. All right. Well, I, well, well, let's see. Let's see if I can figure out how to get an answer out of it. Because I mean, you said the wings. I, so I make wings. That's like my biggest yeah. thing. So when I when I read that you were the best at wings, that that enticed me. But I didn't know. I mean, you're doing ribs with your VIP class today, right? Yeah. I think yeah. I saw that. So yeah. uh, I didn't know if you had a go to. I mean, every time I look at your Twitter account or anything, I mean, I was even showing my wife the bread that you made <laughs> on Easter. And yeah. I was like, how do you replicate this? And And yeah. how do we make this happen? I'm sure that's in your cookbook right so i could maybe yep so i can find it that way i got this best-selling cookbook on amazon you might and by the way next week i'm actually no joke um i'm going to teach in in uh and do some demonstrations in australia but i'm actually taking a week to myself i'm finishing the next two cookbooks to go in for proposals the next two i decided to break them up apart i was going to do one mega book and i decided okay that's a little too many recipes um so um yeah i'm actually actually working on the next two but the thing is is that i always derek i always say food because i love all this is a you know i am not a thin woman man this is a body built by barbecue and i'm okay with it (laughs) you know i like Um, that i'm gonna start using that (laughs) it's, it's the truth you know like i love i mean truly I love everything from, um, no joke, the hollow loaves I made on Easter. Yeah, those were done on the tracker. Mm-hmm. They're sesame seeds. They're super easy. Um, I live in Florida, so I also don't like turning my oven on in my house, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> it's warm enough friends, as is. Yeah, my friends always laugh because they, <laughs> my friends came for dinner, and they're like, you cooked it on the grill, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, why? Because it's not burnt. I have the habit of burning just about like half the stuff I put in the oven. And the reason is because I'm such a barbecue. I'm so used to smelling like when sugar transitions and things like that mm-hmm. outside that unless I put a timer in my phone, I am like, I am not good at ovens. <laughs> Literally I can cook the most complicated, like beef Wellington in a grill. No problem. I can make that stuff golden and delicious. Mm-hmm. Do it in an oven. I clueless. Literally. It's not clueless. I just, I, I'm so used to smelling changes and how things smell on the grill. And, and they're always warning me, you know, you know, you know, check the bread, check the bread, check the meat, check the what, if it's in the oven, yeah, they're always, they're yep. on me. Um, but you know, I, I love all different types of food. I mean, if I could eat steak and a Caesar salad every day, I probably would, or a burger. And, and, mm-hmm. and I love a smash burger. I do. Yep. Oh my God. I love burgers. I love steak, but also, you know, one of the greatest things is, is that it's wonderful if you have some really great seasonal vegetables. Um, you know, I love ratatouille. I do. It's a, not a complicated dish, but the Traeger makes it so much better than mm. when you do it in the oven because that little bit of wood-fired kiss and of course you know all of our pellets we've got so many different flavors these days you know like so you pick it's kind of like picking your wine with your food we pick our pellets to go with our food you know so it's it's it really i'm like all over the map there is not one I, go-to but i, I will say this, I, there is yeah. one barbecue food that captivates me still more than any other okay so captivates okay. Me. i'm not talking okay. about eating okay um yep. One one food and one food alone, I think, is just still the most magical transition, and that would be a pork butt. And and the Carolinas are a pork state, and let me explain why. Mm-hmm. There is something truly incredibly magical when you take a pork shoulder, a whole shoulder, or a picnic, or a pork butt roast, whatever whatever portion you're you're taking, and you transition it from this big lump of like blah, boring, mm-hmm. pink pork to this glorious, delightful, succulent, moist, unctuous, Mm -hmm. bark-filled, mahogany-colored barbecue goodness. And I think that that is the one 
every single time I make a pork butt, I just look at it and go, you are so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I accept that answer. Yeah, so like not just the food in general, I, I accept that answer. So I feel <laughs> like, uh, you know, that was an adequate uh, job of explaining it there. So I'll give you that. Uh, Brian, you got anything on the docket this weekend that you're, you know, putting on the Traeger? Uh, you know, Emily went out to California this weekend, so um, I got to pick her up Sunday morning. I'll be able to wake up early and cook something. And my first thought was some chicken, um, you know, some whole chicken. But man, I'm really, really, really digging some pork right now. I, <laughs> there you my go. Pork butts, <laughs> yeah, my, my pork butts, I they're just, uh, I, I tend to agree with you. I, me, I'm like the briskets, I just have so much fun cooking the briskets, but. The pork's a little bit cheaper, and yeah. I am struggling bit? with them a little bit. I'm struggling <laughs> a little bit with them, so I need to I need to work on them. A little, yeah. So I might do that Sunday. I like it. You can never go wrong. So am I expecting a text early, early morning, Brian? Or are we gonna get the text going? <laughs> what, what do I do yeah, next? I, I might I might have Wait. to reach out because I, I need you're a couple text, tips. I don't, you're I don't texting know. her. I am. Pitmaster program. This the secret is out. I'm thinking Brian <laughs> is like, you know, creating these things. Now I got it. Now I'm seeing the mastermind behind the whole thing. Listen, yeah, I you gotta help your friends. You gotta help your friends. What can I say? I, I, I guess yeah. I guess you're right. Are you, you know, are you going to any bit... races? Are you going to any races coming up? Doing any competitions anywhere? I am actually mm-hmm. I will tell you right now, um, I literally, I almost went to last weekend's race, but then we had a family emergency. Um, I actually have what I thought was going to be a light year (laughs) (laughs) at the beginning of the year has turned into, oh my gosh, kind of year. Yeah. It it really has. It it has really turned into, wow, that's a lot of events and things I've got to do. Um, Right now, I actually don't know if I can make it to another race because of my schedule. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there on the couch like everybody else on Sunday or, or lately it's been in airports and, and, yeah. you know, and catching clips and, and little and, and honestly, <laughs> truthfully, a lot of times if I'm on a plane, it's just easier to go on Twitter to find out what's going on. Okay. That, I, that I just, part's true. you know, I will say the social media teams for all, uh, and, and shout out to RFK's social media team. Cause they do a kick-ass job. They really do. Um, huge, huge kick like they do such a good job but um whether it's you know the joey logano's or the you know bubba wallace team or whoever it is okay those social media teams it it goes on twitter faster than anywhere else so a Mm -hmm. lot of times i will literally go uh to bob you know we all know who bob is bob pockrass i'm probably saying his name right um i think you nailed it yeah, and and uh, you know I'll I'll check out what's what's happened because honestly, and the individual social media teams um, for the NASCAR the, the individual teams, um, and of course you know I, I might be rooting for also a, a Florida boy he might carry some watermelons as well you know there you go the RFK, next to the RFK people you know, um, yeah. but uh, I, I typically will you know as I'm racing through airports or, or trying to get the next flight or whatever a lot of times I'm just on Twitter going okay what happened real real you hit the wall again and i'm like literally yeah. i have been on my airpods talking to a friend going who hit a wall did you go into a wall i'm like the damn car went in the wall what is wrong <laughs> with him and i'm like walking through airports you know critiquing you know what are you doing you know what your air pressure was off your team sucks or you know making <laughs> my aside commentaries as i always do you know love it 
I, I love it. No, that's good. I, I, I know we're up uh, against a little bit of a time crunch. I do have a question for you uh, regarding competition because competition yep. is so much different than anything else you do. Can you just touch on that? What's that like getting into the zone for you? And, uh, you know, we're all athletes. We're all, you know, Brian up here, he, you know, he works for Stuart Haas. So he's yep. competing on the daily. What's that like, that pressure and all for you in this time, like this season of your life and what you're doing? So I decided um, after I got the world championship of sausage a couple of years ago, uh, the American Royal, um, that I was going to concentrate more on corporate relations, um, mm-hmm. you know, because guaranteed checks versus maybe checks are a lot better. And I decided True. to start taking a lot more vacations and traveling. I love travel. I really do. I love to travel. I'm going to the island of Vanuatu and New Caledonia by myself and, wow. and a couple of other places over off of uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, in, in the upcoming weeks. And so I step back from competition, but I will say this, I still mentor some teams that are out there, which is pretty funny. Um, competition barbecue is not, is not full meal barbecue. Competition barbecue is bite barbecue. So mm. where, you know, if we're making a pork butt at home or a brisket, we're seasoning the whole thing up. And, you know, at home, I don't, uh, I don't particularly relish a Wagyu brisket. I prefer a certified Angus beef prime. Um, I've been in one of their slaughterhouses. I like the way they run their program. I like uh, Creekstone Farms, Strove Ranch, not necessarily Wagyu, um, but really mm-hmm. good quality American prime uh, barbecue um, briskets. Um, because when you have a competition, you're using the most luscious, the highest fat content when it comes to to brisket so it's not something that's designed to be an entire meal it's designed to take a couple bites because you have to captivate a judge with one to two bites the most so you know you might be using some very premium products like the pork um north carolina of course um you know the 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 nascar home of everything you know has to be one of the best pork states in the nation and so funny enough i use quite a few north carolina pork products in the past Uh, i may have used some north carolina pork when and I ground my meat to make my sausage uh, to win it two years in a row. Perfect scores. You know, like there's there you're searching for the best of the best when you're doing competitions. Then there is the secondary part of things of, of where you're deciding your marinades and, and your rubs, whether you're mm-hmm. looking for something that's enzymatic, that's going to break down some cell structure, whether you're looking for something that's flavored. Then you get into the other competition side of things where, okay, you might be using some phosphates to inject some nitrates into your meats to have a better uh, textural component or moisture component. You may be brining some things. So there's all these things in little stasis. And at this point, it's kind of like NASCAR because everybody knows how to cook. Every one of those drivers know how to drive. So -hmm. it's the minutia and it's the tiny little things that separate these people from these people, the lower to the higher. And I think that that's very evident now. Um, Competitions are not typically made, or sorry, competition barbecue is typically not made by making the very best food. And this is a really weird thing to wrap people's heads around because you're not actually competing team to team. You're competing for Mm -hmm. six judges to give you the highest score possible, which is a nine. Uh, And that's where the Kansas City Barbecue Society, which is the largest one. There, of course, is also the SCA, which is the state competitions. There are also other, um, other types of like IBCA, International Barbecue Cookers Association in Texas. Um, There's lots of other, you know, sanctioning bodies, but KCBS is the largest out of all of them. So Hmm. basically what you're doing is you're trying to convince six judges to give you nines. So sometimes winning barbecue competitions is all about just having the least offensive, most pleasant, most non-offensive food possible with the best Hmm. texture and the best moisture. 
So it's kind of a kind of a funny little road you got to travel in barbecue competitions. It's very intense. It's an insane amount of work. Mm -hmm. The money is not there, unfortunately, for many many people. It's very expensive to go into competition barbecue, full four category plus uh, category. It's an extraordinarily expensive um, sport, uh, food yeah. sport to get into. Uh, on average, the costs are anywhere from twelve hundred to two thousand per contest, depending wow. on where they are and your travel costs. Um, you know, I have, I, I, you know, sitting beside my house is a $45,000 custom barbecue trailer that I designed from nose to tail. And it was designed just for me to go out and compete in it. And, and a lot of people, you know, you can't afford that and you can't go and, and, you know, just pull up with a, you know, a tent and a trailer and they got to make the best of it. So it's an mm -hmm. expensive sport. I wish, I wish it was sponsored better because people are working really hard at it and it just needs to find a, I think a little more homes on TV and maybe have some more exposure. Well, I, I appreciate that. Appreciate the explanation with all of that. It really is helpful for even me, and I know everybody listening. And uh, if you don't mind, I mean, please, I know we talked about Traeger and a few other uh, companies you're associated with, but any charities or any other brands uh, that you don't mind touching on before we uh, head out? Well, I say I have to always think of, you know, Traeger, of course, uh, Duluth yeah. clothing company, you know, I'm a Duluth yeah. woman. I wear Duluth every single day. And the funny thing is, is that most of my partnerships came across naturally. And they're the best That's kind cool. because it's authentic. Um, I turn down more contracts than I take. And it has to do with integrity. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are what I would refer to as grill whores, um, male or female. Um, and, right. you know, they flip from company to company. And I don't like that. I, I like to stand yeah. behind people that work with me. And I, I really cherish the relationships and the partnerships that I've made with them over the years. And, uh, you know, Yeti has always taken care of me. Um, God bless Yeti. I saw you with your Yeti cup. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I have so many Yeti cups and coolers and, and, <laughs> and you know, and, and I, they came out with luggage. So they sent me new luggage the other week. It was great. New backpack. Um, yeah, Duluth, Yeti, Traeger. Um, I have to thank my partners over at Victoria Knox. Victoria Knox Knives, the biggest knife company in the world, has been supplying me knives for years, and they never want anything from me, from me and they're good people. Mm. Meter Maid takes care of all my long-term probes, um, which is amazing. Thermoworks is my number one recommendation for an Insta-Read thermometer. Um, one of the things that they've also helped me do is supply quite a few communities with tools that they may not be able to afford otherwise. And I think that's another thing that I like about a lot of the partners that I've had over the years is that sometimes I'll just waive my fees completely and I'll say to them, hey, instead of spending money on me, I'm good. I got my bills covered. You know, I live mm -hmm. modestly so that I can travel so much as I do. Um, it's more important for me to have a school that has a really low income or a community that has a really low income to get them some supplies that they need. And that's, that's really cool. important to me. I'm a big believer in supporting our first responders. I feed them regularly. Um, that is all of our ambulatory fire police. My dad was a cop for 25 years. So awesome. that probably comes from that as well. And of course, wounded warriors and all veteran services, yeah. because I think we treat them like shit and we need to do a better job. And the government needs to step the flip up and take care of the people that took care of us. I there agree. You go. I think that, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's what we want. It's called all things go for a reason, Danielle. You know that. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate it. I know Brian does as well. Just thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us and uh, looking forward to more conversations. Now that I understand where Brian gets all his intel, uh, that helps me understand a little bit more. So uh, again, thank you, Danielle. We appreciate it very much. You're yeah, thank okay, you so much. And a toast to my final sponsor before I go, guys. Yes. Uh, I wish we were all together. I would be toasting you with, of course, Whistlepig.
Gotta love them, guys. Cheers, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for the opportunity. And that will conclude this episode of All Things Go. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to follow Danielle Bennett on all her available social media accounts as well. For Brian Murphy, I'm Derek Yoder. And we'll catch you next time for episode 22.